Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. You seem excited today to be here. Boom. Uh, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online, wasn't that a great video? We had literally hundreds upon hundreds of kids at our Speedway campus, at our Lenexa campus for Kids Gig. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. It's because of your giving that we're able to pull off these things, not only for Westside kids, but lots of kids in the community that are learning about Christ and they are really having a wonderful experience. So if you give uh, anything to the church, we take a portion of that. So if you love this event, uh, then you can be proud that you help to support it. We're super excited about it. And as uh, the, the, the goal is for kids to be introduced to Christ. And tonight at our worship and prayer night, which I'm inviting you all back to, uh, we have a number of the kids from the Kids Get Experience that are going to be baptized in the pond, I think, uh, out where we have snapping turtles, I think. Uh, and so um, they'll see how much they trust Jesus, you know, in all of that. And our students are going to be leading tonight. Yeah, our students are going to be leading us tonight. So I encourage you to come out for, for that. And uh, I want to shout out to our staff, a shout out to all of our volunteers uh, that served at Kids Gig, uh, from senior citizens down to little kids. My uh, grandkids came for Kids Gig. My granddaughter, Ava, who's 12, uh, served, and our grandson crew, Hot Mess, uh, came and actually experienced Kids Gig, and I want to thank you. And as a way to celebrate, you may have noticed when you came in or you went out that we have donut trucks uh, on both Speedway and at Lenexa. So on your way out, if you didn't on your way in, get yourself a donut. And here's what you need to know. Donuts served at church have no calories in them. <laughs> Spiritual donuts. You've been holding back. You don't need to hold back because these donuts have absolutely no guilt associated with them. Can I get an amen? amen? So we know that our spiritual enemy is desiring to tear down our nation, to tear down our city, to tear down our churches, and our spiritual enemy, Satan, knows that all that he has to do to accomplish this is to undermine our families. If he can undermine our families and weaken them and destroy them, he will destroy our churches, he will destroy our city, he will destroy our nation. Because in history, no church, no city, no nation has been able to survive without strong families. And kudos to Satan, you know, hey, he's doing a great job and having amazing success, but not on our watch, not in our family, not in our church, not in our city. And so we've declared we're fighting back, we're getting fit to fight, not only us, but in our partnership with Macedonia Baptist Church, uh, we have been working hard over these nine weeks to get fit to fight for our family. And so this is the last time we get a chance to make this declaration together out of Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. So if you're sitting with a member of your family, I'd encourage you to grab hands with them. If you're single, I'd encourage you to grab hands with uh, a friend, somebody sitting next to you, and let's declare uh, this, um, this commitment together. Are you ready? You got to give it all you got because this is your last chance to do it with me at least. Here we go. Ready? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we have set our will on your will for our families. 
But the truth is our spirit is weak. We invite your spirit to strengthen our spirits that we might live in the center of your good plan for our lives and for our families. We now open up your word as our compass to find direction for our families. And may the words of Christ be in our minds. May the words of Christ be on our lips. May the words of Christ be in our hearts. May the words of Christ be in our hands and our feet. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it was Timothy's fifth birthday, and he was excited to open up all of his presents. But he noticed that the largest present was given by his grandmother, and he decided to wait to open that present for last. He finally got to grandma's present. He tore into the present to discover that she had gotten him a mini drum set. And he said to his grandmother, my, this is what I've always wanted Later, after Timothy went to bed, Timothy's mom approached her mom, grandma, and said, you know, mom, I'm kind of surprised that you gave Timothy a drum set for his birthday. Don't you remember when we were growing up with a drum set, how that used to drive you crazy? She simply put a grin on her face and said, I remember. Yes, I remember. Payback time. (laughs) So the question today is, what does the Bible, God's word, say about raising kids? As you might suspect, God's word gives us tremendous amounts of guidance in this topic. But I want to focus our attention today on our core passage, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. I'm going to put it on the screen and invite you to say it out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Famous passage of Scripture. There's two things that you need to know before we dive into the details. First of all, the difference between a proverb and a promise. The difference between a proverb and a promise. The proverb, this proverb, falls in the category of wisdom literature within the Scripture. Now, wisdom literature basically is saying that the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to give you wise advice on how to live. And that if you will apply these proverbs to your life, you are putting yourself in the best possible position to experience success. However, there is a difference between a proverb and a promise. The, promise, uh, the promises in the Bible are many, many for example, the Bible promises in the Old Testament that he was going to, God was going to send to us a Messiah, a Savior, someone to get us back into a relationship with God, and that he would come from the family of Abraham, the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Judah. Over and over again, God restated the promise. And guess what? He kept the promise. Jesus came to us for the first time. John chapter 14 is just one of many places where God said he promises that Jesus is going to come back again a second time and make everything right and beautiful. You can take it to the bank. Jesus is coming back because God always keeps his promises. But a proverb doesn't necessarily equate to a promise. And the reason this is important is that there are times when parents have done their part but it doesn't turn out this way. 
For example, Solomon, who is likely the author of this proverb, as he's writing this, he has to be thinking about his brother Absalom. His brother Absalom uh, rised up against his dad, David, who was the king of Israel, a man who was said to be a man after God's own heart. You know, David's heart was in the right place, and yet his son rose up against him and caused David to go into hiding and to flee. And at the end, Absalom is killed. And he never came back around like the proverb suggested that he would. So when Solomon wrote these words, he knew that it didn't work out for his family and for his brother Absalom. You see, at the end of the day, there are external circumstances, parents, beyond your control, and ultimately, your child is an individual with an individual will that is ultimately responsible for the decisions within their life. And the truth is, if you abandoned your post, or if you approached parenting in a half-hearted way, you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty. I mean, guilt is a God-given emotion that might lead us to a place of repentance. And so don't bypass it, but rather let the guilt sink in as a as, as, a, as an emotion that God gives us that leads us to a place of repentance before our family and God. And get it right. and Get on track. Now, sometimes our family are slow in forgiving, but here's the good news. God is never slow in forgiving and restoring. Can I get an amen? amen. However, if you have shown up as a parent... And while you were not perfect, you did your part to the best of your ability. Do not carry the guilt. Do not carry the guilt. Don't overwhelm yourself with trouble for the wayward life of a child. And always remember this. The story of your child ain't over until it's over. Because I've seen a number of wayward kids come back when everyone had given up hope. The reason is because you have raised them in the Lord and you have created memories and experiences and beauty in their life that when they hit bottom, they're going to remember like the story of the prodigal son and they're going to come running back home. And when they do, you're going to run towards them and embrace them and receive them. Now, the passage says that you should train up a child in the way that he should go. This is suggesting that there are multiple paths and that you need to direct each of your child according to the path that is best for them. If you were to literally translate this passage of Scripture from the Hebrew language which Solomon wrote in, you would literally write, train up a child according to their own bent according to their own bent. So there are, um, uh, what this is saying, if you're taking notes, is uh, customized parenting versus one size fits all. One size fits all. Uh, how many of you have more than one child? Raise your hand. Have you more than one child? Okay. H have you noticed that, um, uh, like we have, that each of your children are like totally different from one another? 
Yeah, see, everyone's, it's, it's a laughter of identification, okay? I mean, we, we have four children, right? Four children, and they are all different from one another. I mean, how is it even possible that four children coming out of the same mother's womb can be so different? I have to be honest with you, it's made me question Roseanne a time or two. <laughs> yes, it did, yes. <laughs> God calls parents to train up a child according to their unique bent, how God has wired them, customized parenting, if you will. And so you were called as a parent, and you've been instilled with the love to do so, to study your children like a hawk, to become lifelong students of your children's unique design with the goal of leading them down the path that is best for them, which might be very different than how you lead the child right next to them. So if you're, if you're going to do that, then there are two things I would invite you to consider. The first one is their unique personality. Now, there are four basic personality types that God gives us at birth, and one of them is more dominant than the others. And here's the thing with personality, and you have one, and I have one, is that there is a really good side to every personality. There's a good side, but there's also a dark side. There's a good side and there's a bad side. And as a parent, your job is to fuel the good of their personality, but your job is also to extinguish the darkness of their personality. And for each child, it could be very different. So you have to identify what is the unique dominant personality type that you're uh, that God gave to each of your children. So I'm going to put them up in a bit of a different way, and I want you to identify uh, which one uh, you think that they are. The first one I'm just going to call a salesperson, a salesperson. And this is a wonderful person to have. I mean, they're sort of the life of the party. They're winsome. Uh, they, they, they're, they're talkers. They're socials. They win people over. They're funny. It is great to have a salesperson for a kid. But there is a dark side to salespeople, and that is they have a tendency to be exaggerators and liars. Yeah, little sinners they are. Yes, sir. Your job is to fuel the good side, the positive side, and your job is to extinguish and to govern the dark side. Maybe you have a sales kid the second one is I'm simply calling the leader. Oh, man, you're thinking to yourself, we got a leader on our hand. They're driven. They're focused. They're disciplined. <laughs> we hit the jackpot. It's likely they're going to get a scholarship to go to college, and we're going to be off the hook for that. You're thinking, wow, God, you've been good to us. That's the positive side. But leaders have a tendency of being controlling and demanding. Your job as a parent is to fuel the good side, the positive side, and to extinguish and to govern and to discipline the negative side. But you got to be able to identify it and discipline them and train them differently. The third one we're going to call the rule follower personality. The rule follower personality. You, you, you realize that you have one and you go like, God, what did I do to deserve this? I am so blessed. I say it once and they do it. Yeah. Yeah, in the early days, a rule follower is a great kid to raise. But mark my word, they are sinners. 
They are sinners, and they'll have a tendency toward legalism and to perfectionism, particularly when they become adults. Your job is to fan into flame that which is positive about how God wired them and to, and to, and to curb and to govern uh, the dark side of their personality. The final one, uh, personalities, I'm simply calling the counselor. The counselor. Maybe you've got one of those. They are, they are good-natured, and they are nurturers, and they are sweet. And again, you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, this is such an amazing child. They would not hurt a butterfly. They won't step on a bug. They love everybody. They listen to people. They're so Christ-like. Not not. They are sinners. They are sinners. And if you don't watch out, the dark side of the counselor temperament is they have a tendency of being pleasers. And that is they'll do just about anything to please people, sometimes the wrong people. And they have a propensity toward discouragement, fragility, and depression. And so your job is to fan into flame that which is positive and to really guide them toward that which is negative. Now, the second thing I'd invite you to consider besides unique personality is what I'm calling the four seasons. And I'm not thinking of spring, summer, fall, and winter, but the four seasons of parenting your children. This is probably the best advice that Roseanne and I received uh, when we were raising our children. I first heard about it from business writer Ken Blanchard in a book he wrote called Situational Parenting, which he applied to the marketplace, but it is beautiful when applied to parenting. There are four seasons, and your job as a parent is to parent their unique bent differently based upon the season that they are in. And one of the biggest, if not the biggest mistake that I see parents making is that they do not shift their parent strategy when their child enters into a different season. Did you hear that? One of the biggest mistakes, and, and those of us who are older parents said, yeah, that's true. Those of us, those of you who are younger parents, you need to take note that one of the key mistakes that parents make is that when their children gets older, you're not shifting your strategy on how you are parenting their unique bent. So what I want to do is talk about the four seasons and give you some handles to be working with. The first season is called directing, and this is when your children in the early childhood, say birth to five years of age, and your primary moniker is, do what I say. Do what I say. You don't need to know why. You're not even capable of understanding the why if I told you. And one of the most pitiful, I hate to use the phrase, one of the most pitiful things I see young parents making with their early childhood kids is that they engage with a good heart because they remember getting parented as a teenager and how frustrating that was. And so they take and they want to do with their younger kids what you should do with a teenager and they negotiate with their toddler. Negotiate with your toddler. Do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> do not do it. Your job as a parent in this season of life is to provide a safe and loving and protective environment for them. 
and you need to provide clear boundaries for rewards and punishment, and they need to stare you down knowing that mom and dad are 100% united on how we pull this off. We will not flinch. We will not change our minds, because why? The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand, and these little sinners know that. And if they see division in your relationship, they're going to come in and they're going to put a wedge between the two of you and get what they want for years on end. Do not negotiate with terrorists. Now, the truth is, this is the tedious season of parenting. You know, you just longed to have a meal with somebody who can cut their own meat, you know. <laughs> Don't touch that stove. Don't cross over that line. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> we got the news that we were having a fourth child. When I first received the news, I cried. <laughs> and then I had to take a nap because our, our, our youngest at that time was three years old. We were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, potty trained. You know, I was going to get a little bit of my life back, and boom, we're going to do it all over again, you know. Now, that kid is now 29 years old, and I'm so grateful. I am so grateful that he came into the world. I really am. Uh, I was just with him two nights ago in Denver, Colorado, and it's so wonderful to be with him. But at the beginning, we didn't want him at all, you know. <laughs> But, you know, God had a bigger plan. So here's kind of two areas, of, two areas of focus for us as it relates to this season. First of all, it's called disciplined behavior, okay? This is where you set bedtimes and schedules, manners at the table, how not to bite, sharing, sharing. My personal uh, uh, one, uh, favorite one, is uh, behavior in the grocery store, you know, and uh, you have a benefit, you younger parents, that we didn't have. You know, if your kids can't behave in the grocery store, because we had to spend an extra hour in the grocery store, you know, trying to discipline our children, the option is not, again, to negotiate with them. I'll give you the suite if you'll just shut up, you know? You do not do that. You take them aside, you discipline them. Hey, if you can't figure it out, shop online. Shop online. It costs five bucks to get it delivered to you. If you don't do it for your sake, do it for the sake of the rest of us. Right? Can I get an amen? Right? Because, you know, the reality is it's tough on you, but it's also tough on these little kids. It's really a tough season for them. They're trying to figure it out, and they have a sin nature. They really do. They really do. Uh, Johnny had been misbehaving, and he was sent to his room. And uh, after a while, he emerged and informed his mother that he had thought about it, and then he said a prayer. His mom said, fine. If you ask God to help you not to misbehave, he will help you. And Johnny responded, no, mom, I didn't ask God to, not, to help me not misbehave. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for them as it is hard for you. So in addition to providing disciplined behavior in this season, hear me out, you need to provide an environment of love. In this season, you need to shower your children with hugs and words like, I love you, and constant words of affirmation. You need to provide a loving and peaceful environment for them to be in. Have reading times. Do bedtimes prayers. Why? Because these first five years of their life are some of the most critical of all. Specialists tell us by the age of five, a human being's character is set in stone. 
Isn't that amazing? Who they are as a person is set in stone during a season of their life most of us can't even remember. We can't even remember, which shows you how critical this season is for parents to get it right. How they come out as a person is how you shape them during the season. And we are reminded about the trouble that a number of Eastern European uh, orphanages have with kids who are put into a crib and they are unattended to. They're not loved, they're not touched, they're not talked to, they're not nurtured, and they develop what's called detachment disorder in those early years. And I know kids that were put in that situation, they didn't deserve it, and today they still struggle intensely because it shaped them when they were just a baby. They deserve better. So that's the first season called directing. The second season is called coaching. And this is when your kids enter into the elementary ages and you shift from do what I say to I'll do it, you watch me. In this season, kids are growing and learning like crazy. And this is a season where they are going to learn by looking at how you live your life. It's interesting that God wired all of us to do our best learning through mimicking the most influential people in our lives. And by the way, newsflash, you are the most influential person in your child's life. And they are not so much listening to what you say, blah, 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 blah. They are watching how you do it. This is the season where you teach them how to catch a ball, how to greet another person. Just be real quick here. Whether it's right or wrong, I judge your parenting, me personally, on the basis of when I meet your children. And if your elementary children will not look me in the eye, if they will not say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, if they don't know how to shake a hand, that's on you. That's on you. And I'll tell you why. Because kids who can look someone in the eye and, and, and give credence to another human being, and they have the confidence enough to talk to them and, and to shake their hand, these are kids that are confident, and these are kids that are going to be successful. It is your responsibility to teach them the respect of another human being and how to greet them. Can I get an amen? That's good, yeah. This is where you teach them how to respect people in authority over you. You can say to them all the time, hey, you know, respect your authority, but they're gonna watch you and how you respect authority. Say, for example, when you get a ticket, right, from a police officer. This happened to me a number of years ago. I haven't gotten a ticket like in forever. I haven't been reformed, man. I drive slower. But a number of years ago, our kids were smaller. We were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we were coming home, same route, and I'm going, the speed limit, 45, right? 45, and then to get to our home, you go down a hill, okay? So I'm going 45, and I go down the hill, and I coasted, okay? I coasted. So what happens? The car picks up speed, right? Huh? Right? Picks up speed. At the bottom of the hill, there's a police officer clocking people, right? That is just wrong. And I'll tell you why, because there's lots of crooks in the neighborhood. You need to be out there finding them. I was going the speed limit, and I was just coasting down, you know, and you roof followers are like, were you going over 45 or not? That's the only question. Be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. It was not right. It was not fair. And sure enough, the light goes on, 
and all my kids are in the car with me and Roseanne, and they gave me that look like, this is going to be interesting. Because <laughs> we can see that dad is really ticked about this. And I know in that moment, this is where they're going to get their biggest lesson, not in church, from dad preaching. They're going to get their biggest lesson on how one respects authority. And so in that moment, I bit my tongue and took my ticket, which was $200 for coasting downhill. <laughs> but I did it. But I never told my kids this. After the police officer left, as a pastor, I prayed against him. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not right. I remind you, in this season, your children are mimicking you. This is where the Bible says that the, the sins of the father visit the children to the third and fourth generation because they're picking up on not what you said, but how you lived. So the first season is called directing. The second season is called coaching. The third season is called supporting. And this is when your kids become teenagers. You need to make the shift where you say, you do it and I will watch you. You do it and I will watch you. And here's Here's my observation. Um, too many Christian parents, out of a goodness, the goodness of their heart, overprotect and shelter their children in the teenage years. So that, I've seen it over and over again, when your teenagers are released and they leave your home, and they leave your home for the first time on their own, they are overwhelmed, they are taken advantage of, and they make rookie mistakes that they shouldn't be making because they didn't know how to make them while they were under your roof. Good-hearted parents desire to protect their children actually weaken them. Do not treat your children who are teenagers like they're in the elementary or the early childhood years because it's not equipping them for the next season of their life. You need to progressively give uh, your teenagers the practice of adult life while they're still under your roof where you could provide a guidance for them and you still have authority in their life. For example, you need to teach them how to manage money. We got our kids checkbooks. Uh, that's a, a little book with a piece of paper. <laughs> you know, explain it to you later. When they were 13 years old, our, our mentors told us to do this. Uh, they need to learn how to fail under your care. They need to learn how to fail under your care. Um, when I was uh, 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 growing up as a kid and playing sports, the only way you got a trophy is if your team was actually in first place at the end of the season. <laughs> it really was true. And I knew it was going to be hard to believe looking at this, but I never was on a team that was in first place at the end of the season, like never. And so I, Randy Frazee, do not have one trophy for my name. I am a great loser, you know. <laughs> I have learned to fail. But when we were raising our kids, I don't know if it's still like this today. I sure hope not. Uh, when we were raising our kids, they got a participation trophy, you know. Yeah, they could be out in right field picking flowers and paying no attention to the ball. You know, they could just not care whatsoever. And at the end, they got a participation trophy. And here's the thing. So we had boxes of these trophies. And uh, when our kids were grown, one day we called them and said, listen, we're getting rid of all this stuff. Where do you want us to send your trophies? You know what they said? You can throw them away. They don't mean anything to us. We did nothing to earn these trophies. The only ones they want, wanted were the ones where they actually 
one. This is the season where you teach them to lead something. This is the season where you help them with their vocational decision. This is what Roseanne and I were encouraged by our mentors to do. By ninth grade, we had all of our kids to find motivation for high school, determine what they were going to do uh, as an adult in terms of a career. Our oldest said, Dad, I'm between uh, being a minister or a lawyer. He chose incorrectly. I'll just leave it at that. We gave him experiences of both. Uh, He went to law school, and he's a lawyer today. Our second child uh, chose in ninth grade uh, because of some influences in his life to become a commercial real estate person. We gave him multiple experiences. He went to school for it. Today, he's in commercial real estate. Our third son said mechanical engineering. I couldn't see it, but we leaned into it. We gave him a number of experiences. Uh, About two years later, 10th and 11th grade, he says, I hate this. I said, we thought so, but it's your decision. Uh, He shifted to marketing today. I was just with him two days ago. He is in marketing and advertising. But our oldest, our oldest, I saw, so I was learning, I saw finances. I mean, she's good with numbers, and and I had her set up to be mentored by a woman bank president who said, your daughter will be one of the youngest women bank presidents in the country. I went to her with this idea. She said, I don't like it. She said, I want to be mom. I want to be mom. And today, my daughter is here, and she's a mom of two kids. She gives her full-time attention to it, and I just want you to know that is a totally legitimate calling from God. That is a totally legitimate calling from God. And I've got two grandkids who are been... This is a season of your life where you take them on mission trips. You take them on mission trips. As a family, you you send them by themselves so they don't think the whole world is Johnson County. Right? That is a bad idea, man. And they need to learn that many of the happiest kids in the world don't live in Johnson County. They live in Haiti. Right? They need to see that under your watch. We say to our, chi- our children d- during this season, if you keep giving us cause to trust you, we will give you more rope. But if you lose our trust once, it is not going to go well for you. We gave our children cell phones at early, uh, the early years. They thought it was freedom. For us, it was a tracking device. Season one, directing, coaching, supporting. The final phase is called delegating. This is when your children become adults and your primary focus is you do it. This is the best and worst season of all. The best because you get your life back. I've been empty nest for 12 years and it like rocks. It really does. But the worst of all because it's hard to let them go. Something that many of us are not good at letting go. Because unintentionally, we let our identities be wrapped up in raising our children. And it comes to the end when it's back to just the two of you. And you look at each other and say, who are you? I don't know if I even like you. And you got lost, and it becomes very, very difficult. One of the biggest mistakes I see parents making is that they are still trying to direct their adult children 
when they're supposed to be delegating to them. And I'll tell you what, if, you, if your kids let you, adult kids let you do this, you will cripple them, you will make them weak, and you will undermine their family. Healthy kids won't let you do that, and eventually they'll be forced to move away. And that will be on you because you didn't know the difference between directing, coaching, supporting, and delegating. Many parents mix up the seasons, doing the right thing at the wrong time. You shouldn't do it. On several occasions, Roseanne and I have watched the actions of our adult children, and we desperately wanted to intervene. But we agreed together that we would never offer our children advice unless they ask us. And once they ask us, we did not expect for them to take it. Just about a month ago, my youngest son called me up to ask for advice on purchasing a new car. He had been driving the car we got for him when he was 16. He's now 29. Good for him, right? <laughs> and he's gotten a raise now. And he said, Dad, what do you think? What do I think? What do I think? I spent no less than 15 hours doing my best thinking. And I gave him my best thought. And he didn't like it. But then he came to his senses and liked it. And that was just there two days ago as he was driving the right car for him. Dave Ramsey would be so proud of him. <laughs> he took my advice. But you know what's really fun is getting to the place where your adult kids, you love them and you respect them so much. And you remember the day when they would, you couldn't get them to brush their teeth or stop picking on their brother, right? And now they're grown up. And when you go to them and you ask them for advice because you respect them and they give you advice and there's a beautiful friendship that emerges. It is so cool. So the action step required for this final lesson is for you parents to identify the unique personality of each of your children and then to identify the season that they're in. I'd encourage the teenagers and those kids in the room to take a look at those four and give it a stab on which one you think you are and have a conversation with your parents to make sure they are matching up the right style according to who you think you are and uh, just have some great conversations with that and I promise you that it will serve you.